Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a new episode of the FinTech Hunting Podcast. We have an amazing guest for you today, a repeat guest, one that is one of the most listened to episodes in all of the FinTech Hunting Podcast. We have over a hundred of them and his podcasts are very, very well listened to. Uh, he is an industry expert, a thought leader, a fellow podcaster, <laughs> and an evangelist for educating consumers on their financial wealth and well-being and how to create transparency throughout that whole process. Please help me welcome the amazing Brian View, president and COO at FinLocker. Wow, what an what a intro, man. Thank you. <laughs> it's good to be here. It is great to have you back. Like I said, people love listening to your episodes. You always provide great insight. You've got a wonderful background of you've been on the lending side, you've been on the technology side, and I think that combination adds so much value to our listeners. So before we jump into all the cool stuff FinLocker's doing and new white papers and all of this, we've just kind of wrapped up that really busy season of live conferences, trade shows, Give me some of your feedback and key takeaways from those live events. Well, uh, probably the most obvious uh, takeaway was people were starved for that experience. Um, it was amazing to uh, just to see how people reacted and were reacting to, to actually being live and, and not through a screen anymore. You know, so um, that was that was pretty cool. Um, the other observation. So for me, you know, as you said, I, I spent a lot of time, most of my career as a lender. And so, you know, two, three years ago and beyond these events, I would be, you know, the client uh, and I would have, you know, folks uh, trying to get on my calendar and that's been reversed here of late. And uh, what I took away from the, the most recent events was people were genuinely interested in having discussions and meetings and learning about kind of new opportunities and, and new solutions in the market. I thought that was really encouraging. I couldn't agree more. I, I When you use that word genuine, the, the interactions, the meetings were much more authentic. They were genuine. People wanted to take the time to actually find out how you were doing, what type of solutions you had. I was glad to see kind of the end of the speed dating where, you know, the winner was I had 100 meetings yeah. and I saw – 50 people and I spent five minutes with them. Yeah. Hopefully we don't ever go back to that because I really enjoyed these genuine conversations. Yeah, I agree. Uh, it's not about qu uh, quantity. It's the quality of the discussions for sure. Absolutely. Well, FinLocker's got a, a lot of exciting things going on. You guys just recently published a white paper entitled, Can Technology Solve for Inclusion in the Housing Industry and Affect Equitable Wealth Building? Tell me kind of what was the genesis of that? What are you guys hoping to accomplish? Because I think it's such a critical topic these days. Yeah, it, it's, um, you know, I, what's interesting is when, when we started building our product in a number of years back, the, the thought back then wasn't to build a product that was going to help solve for some of the financial inclusion issues that we continue to face. But we've kind of found ourselves right in the middle of it. And so... The, uh, the white paper that we wrote was uh, it, it was in support of an event that uh, that happens annually. It's called DC FinTech Week. Chris, Christopher Broomer uh, puts together this great event every year. And uh, Christopher is a, a law professor at Georgetown University. 
He's also a director. He's on the board of directors of Fannie Mae. He's, he's very involved in all things housing, but he's very focused specifically on uh, inclusion in housing and, and how to help support and and kind of rebuild, if you will, the the system to be more inclusive. And so he asked a number of uh, fintechs, including FinLocker, to participate in this year's DC FinTech Week. And um, one of the sessions was all around how um, CDFIs, Community Development Financial Institutions, and MDIs, Minority Deposit Depository Institutions, can be part, truly be part of this solution around uh, financial inclusion and housing inclusion. And, and the, uh, the ask was for these fintechs to, to kind of put our thoughts into how technology combined with what these institutions do in their communities could bring solutions uh, for that underserved segment. Um, and so that was the genesis of the, uh, the white paper. Excellent. Now, what are some of the ways technology, and for anyone who's listening, what's the best way, I guess we should start with, how can they download that white paper uh, and get all the details, and then we'll go into some of the specifics. Yeah, uh, so the, uh, the white paper is available um, directly at the DC FinTech Week um, site. I think it's dcfintechweek.com, I believe, but we also, FinLocker's also published it. Um, you can find it on our uh, Finlocker LinkedIn page. So if you go to our LinkedIn business page, uh, we have a, we have the article actually published uh, as an article on LinkedIn there, and there's an ability to download it as well. Um, and if that, if all else fails, you can always email me <laughs> brian.view at finlocker.com, and I'm happy to to share it as well. Excellent, I appreciate that. So. Talk to us a little bit about what were some of the key findings and technology's role in helping to try to solve and address this equitable wealth building. So, you know, I think it starts with uh, education and literacy. Um, and it's, you know, the way we think about financial education and literacy or financial fitness supported by literacy is not just articles and classes and curriculum, because that's there's a lot of content people can find uh, on the internet around that. We actually think about financial literacy as a subset of financial fitness. And so we kind of, we kind of take the approach that we want to provide literacy education guidance, but we want to do it on top of a consumer's data. And so that, what does that mean? So um, one of the, you know, one of the things we've heard a lot about, you know, this, this past year, is bias in the system, right? And, uh, and, and you know, whether it's in the underwriting engines or in, in the appraisal processes, there's, there's this notion of, of bias that continues to kind of e exist. We, we believe and others believe that there is a way to remove bias in terms of decisioning, on, you know, making credit decisions solely focused on data. And the data doesn't need to include, you know, personal identifying information that would say this person is this, uh, you know, nationality or race or not. Um, so that's one one area is, is leveraging data to kind of help reduce and eliminate bias over time. But for us, the the focus that we take is on helping consumers, all consumers understand 
where they spend money today, understand the combination of, of their spending, their, their credit history, their income, their employment, and, and, uh, and their overall credit. How does that, all that come together and paint a picture for readiness? And readiness means a lot of different things to a lot of different people, but in the mortgage context, it's, it's really helping position somebody to be successful when they make a mortgage application, right? Improve their chances of an approval. Well, and I think even taking it a step further, and I couldn't agree with you more, is there's so many people out there that really just view that information of, can I get the loan? Yeah. But what they really need to do, and I love that you guys are educating and really tying it to the data of, what would that improved credit score do over the long haul for your financial health? Not just getting the loan, right. but can you get a better rate? Can you get a better term? Are you in more favorable position long-term from your financial well-being when you know the numbers and know, hey, if I just did these three things, I could improve 20 points and this is the impact it would have on the types of loan that I could get, the rates that I could get. And I think those are the things that I think are so critical. And I couldn't be more excited that you guys are really helping educate people out there. Talk to me then, because obviously Finlocker does a great job of storing and pulling in that financial data. How important then is collaboration with so many other partners, these credit providers and Fannie yeah. and Freddie and all, of, because it's not just one person making that decision. There's a lot of factors that have to come together. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and I love the, the term collaboration because that's, that's exactly the way we kind of think about um, relationships um, with industry partners, but also with consumers themselves. It is a collaboration. So, um, there, there are a, lot, a ton of, you know, if we just talk about mortgage specifically, there are a lot of players in the, in the transaction, right? Um, and uh, we're not necessarily solving for all the connection points from a realtor to the title to the lender, but we do, uh, we do believe that we, we help the lender specifically create a different type of relationship with the consumers that they're seeking to work with. Um, especially a lender who is focused on getting uh, up the funnel, if you will, you know, engaging consumers much earlier in their journey and, and thinking about the importance of education and literacy and preparation as part of that early journey. Um, and so it's, for us, it's, it's, our model is B to B to C. So it's essential that we have a partner, a lender partner, who's essentially distributing Finlocker, you know, branded, it's their branded product, but distributing it to their customers. But we do bring in, you know, other, um, other players. So we, you know, we are a platform that, that allows a consumer to uh, link uh, financial accounts, credit, employment, and income um, in, in their locker and use that data, the direct source data to not only build readiness, but also enable the transaction at the end of the day. And so our collaboration includes folks like Fiserv. Fiserv is who we partner with to bring the consumer's financial account data into the locker securely. TransUnion is a, a big relation, one of our most significant relationships, frankly. That's, we all things credit come from TransUnion, including the credit score, credit report, the tools that allow a consumer to 
simulate changes to their credit if they were to do certain things like paying off or down a credit card. Um, we have a relationship with a platform called eCredible, which is super cool. It allows a consumer to take payments they already make today, like to utilities and rent, as an example, and create yep. create a trade line on those uh, payments. So oftentimes consumers, um, especially younger consumers, and frankly, uh, a big portion of underserved consumers are making payments today in the system, but, but aren't getting credit for those payments in the system. And so this is another very important relationship that we believe is is supporting this uh, inclusion effort to help people build credit that don't already have credit or improve credit if they have light credit that will give them a better a better chance to get in the mainstream financial system. Excellent. And, and those partnerships are so critical. You used a term that I think is so critical today of direct data sources. Yeah. Tell us, explain our listeners a little bit of why that's important and more importantly, how does that help streamline and improve turn times and sure. efficiency and, and data quality. So the, the, the best uh, way to describe it, I always, you know, put my phone up there, right? I don't know why, but it, I, we believe, and I think a lot of people believe that we're as a, uh, as an industry, but just as a, you know, as an, as a, as a country, we are very close to having all of us have all of our financial DNA, thumbprint, iris scan, available at all times in real time, right from our little mini computers here. And, um, and so direct source data is what's gonna drive this concept of a you know, verified consumer or verified borrower, we like to say. And so uh, direct source data is the combination of credit, right? So credit data, all of us have a, a most of us have a credit profile. One of the three bureaus, if not all three bureaus have information on us on how we do as it relates to paying our bills. That's one source of direct source data. Uh, financial accounts. So all of the accounts that we have, whether it's assets, checking savings, investment, 401k, IRA, or, or liability accounts, credit cards, charge cards, personal loans, auto loans, student loans, mortgage loans, all of those financial accounts have direct source data that come off of those accounts, right? So balances, okay deposits that are going into a, uh, a checking and savings account. Some of those deposits are, are direct deposits from payroll that can be used to validate employment and income. Um, and, then, uh, and then on the liability side, it's the proof of payments, right, that, that then get reported to credit. So the, those financial accounts are all direct source data. And then finally, uh, employment and income. You know, so who do we work for and how much do we make? That's another area where direct source data is available. Consumers can link in their locker to their payroll. So they you know, log into their, their payroll account through the locker and link their income and employment, their, their direct deposits now become part of their data set. And then finally, the, 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 the wrapper, I guess, that, that FinLocker puts on this is identity verification. So our whole process builds off of identifying that a consumer is who they say they are, and then we bring in all of that direct source data. So direct source data is just, it's data that otherwise, you know, when you're applying for a mortgage is probably the best example. Traditionally, if we go old school, you brought in your pay stubs, your W-2s, your tax returns, and your bank statements. 
And that was yep. all brought in paper, handed off to a loan officer, who then handed it to a processor and an underwriter who validated it. What we're what we call direct source data is now all of that information that's printed on those forms now is transmitted in the form of you know digital data, and it's already verified. So when you talk about you know the ability to streamline processes, you could argue that if in the case where someone's sharing from their locker you have all this direct source data and you can really streamline the, the, the uh, analysis of that consumer's eligibility for a loan. Fantastic. And I, I think those are some of the efficiencies that people really need to take notice of because it can streamline the process. And like you said, it's verified data so that it's validated. You know that it's coming from the, the, the person, that source. Uh, excellent information, Brian. You always have a wealth... Tell me a little bit, what's on the horizon for FinLocker? You know, what, what should we expect the rest of, you know, 2021 and more importantly into 2022? <laughs> well, 2021, can you believe we are, I mean, we are at the uh, finish line. It's uh, amazing. <laughs> um, we're actually, our, our team's getting together this week uh, in, in our corporate office in St. Louis to kind of recap the year, but more importantly, really put the, put the final touches on our 2022 business plan. Um, and so, you know, one of the one of the near term uh, areas that we're focused on with a number of lenders and this this kind of ties into the way we kind of started the conversation around inclusion. Um, there is, you know, I, I think you've seen already, you know, in the last few few months or quarters kind of news out of the CFPB and news from different state regulators that are starting to look at non-bank lenders in a similar lens as they would look at a depository as it relates to yep. Community Reinvestment Act lending, CRA. Um, and most of us that you know lived in that non-bank lending world never really dealt with the, the, the scrutiny around CRA per se. Um, and so we've, we've got a, a number of engagements uh, that we're kind of gonna build momentum as we exit 2021, but really create a lot of momentum in 2022 with non-bank lenders that we're partnering with to, to give them a set of tools that they can use to uh, create awareness and, and in their local communities to actually provide tools that are gonna help consumers, and I like to say all consumers, all consumers in the community, not just in one part of the community, the entire community, help all consumers with financial literacy, financial fitness, and, and hopefully uh, these tools and the, the lender's support leads to an improved uh, improvement in uh, housing for the underserved and, and you know, really building that at the community level. So we're, we're most excited about that in the near term. It's, it's uh, you know, it's, again, it's not something we sought out to do when we started this company, but it's, it's very evident that the combination of technology like FinLocker with forward-leaning, forward-thinking uh, lenders who are really focused on doing better and doing good in their communities, the combination of those two things can be pretty powerful and, and really help address at the local, the most local level, the, the housing uh, inclusion issues that we're facing. 
Oh, fantastic. And we need more people focused on those initiatives because we truly can make a much greater difference in those yeah. communities we serve, you know, if we come together as an industry. Brian, what else do you see in the horizons for 2022 for lenders? What are some of the, the challenges they're going to face? What are some of the exciting opportunities that you see for them as we move into the new year? Well, I think, you know, <laughs> Every every year for the last twenty years, if we if somebody did an interview or a podcast talking about the market next year and where rates are going, if you were if you rewound it every year, it would be oh rates are going up and <laughs> and we're we're going to go into this purchase this purchase market. Well, uh, it's looking like uh, that is going to be a reality. We're already seeing it today in terms of you know origination volumes are skewing more to purchase. Uh, and, and with that, at the same time, we're seeing continued pressure on margins. Um, you know, so I think I think we're lenders, uh, at least the, fo the lenders that we're focused on and, and talking to. And, and I like to talk about or, or reference them as forward leaning, forward thinking lenders. Um, yep. By the way, not not all lenders are forward leaning and forward thinking there's <laughs> there's a there's still a few that are kind of stuck in their old old school ways and we're not going to we're not going to focus on them cuz that's that's a that's a tough sell but uh, the the forward leaning forward thinking lenders are constantly looking at their um, their technology stack right and analyzing do they have the right stack the right partners in the stack do they have too many partners you know it's sometimes Sometimes you have a lot of shiny object syndrome going on out there and you, you end up signing up with all these different platforms. So it's I think a lot of people today are kind of doing that analysis on what what's in their stack. How do they want to deliver an experience to consumers and do they have the right partners to deliver on that? Um, and then it's all really wrapped around how to continue to take cost out of the equation, not just for the lender, but for the consumer, especially, uh, but not give up the the experience. Everyone's, you know. The consumers expect uh, today's consumer expects a an experience that is um, that has part, you know has some digital uh, components to it, but they also uh, they're also expecting execution, and, and you got to be able to execute on it. So I think um, it's 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 kind of the I don't want to say that the the tried and true, but it's a little bit of business as usual. Find ways to uh, be more streamlined, be more efficient, take out cost. Um, and I think the other thing uh, I would say is P I, I see a lot of lenders really trying to do more at the top of the funnel and, and create a wider a wider funnel and, and that's not necessarily just seek people that are ready today for a mortgage application, but finding consumers who may be ready 6, 12, 18, 24 months out and finding ways to engage with them in a meaningful way to to build a relationship well ahead of when they would be ready for a mortgage application. Oh, that is so true. And I hope everyone had their pens and papers out and we're taking notes because, <laughs> you know, those three points you made are, are so spot on of it's got to fit within the tech stack. Some don't have the right tools. Some have too many tools. Yeah. We hear this about cost all the time of, you know, and I think we go in these crazy cycles of it's super busy. There's high volume. So we really don't think of the most efficient way things slow up and now we're just trying to get somebody in the door and we don't focus on the efficiency, but cutting out cost in that origination process for both the lender and the consumer is critical. And then I think to your last point, and I think this is where a lot of the industry needs to continue to move for is engaging people 
early, not just earlier on in the process, but actually engaging them and treating them for lifetime value instead yeah. of just a, one transaction. Yes. And if we can get there and use the tools and leverage the stack, I think we're going to be much further along as an industry. Agreed. Brian, you always have a wealth of knowledge, my friend. You and I could talk forever, but I can't thank you enough for being a guest on this episode of the FinTech Hunting Podcast. Thanks for having me again.